Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. It's Christmas in April. It's Christmas episode time. Today is your day. I have been feeling great joy for you. <laughs> when you said, oh, the next episode is going to be a surprise, and then it was revealed to be a Christmas, like a holiday episode, I have been, yeah, just like on cloud nine. I'm so excited. I'm, I was like, oh, this might have to be a double episode. I'm going to try not to <laughs> like get us onto too many tangents, but yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about like, what is a Christmas episode? I also want to dig into some of your feelings about Christmas, you know, and holidays. I thought you might. I thought you might. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Tyler, just really feel free to fully express yourself and explore your territory here. And if it needs to go into two episodes, it can. All right. Okay. Okay. That's good. That, you know, that's very affirming and I appreciate it. Um, well, before we dive into that, do we have any revisions or regrets from the last episode or questions, answers? Maybe the first, this might be the first time that I have none. Wow. Yeah. Which is good because we don't have that much time to go backwards. Yeah, that's true. With. Yeah. What about you? No, I mean, I'm filled with many regrets in my life, but none about the last episode. So yeah, it seems like you don't have your regrets concentrate elsewhere and not. (laughs) We finish recording and I'm like, you know, my mind just wipes it clean. Like I don't remember it, you know, until I occasionally I go back and listen to them, but, um, but I haven't been lately. So, okay. Christmas. Do you hate it? Christmas. I don't hate Christmas. I think it's just, you have this unfair perspective about me because you love Christmas in this disproportionate way. (laughs) It's kind of surprising for you actually, because I don't feel like knowing the rest of you, like if I cut out the Christmas portion of your personality, I wouldn't necessarily assume, oh, that's the guy who would run the party party planning committee. Like that is the Christmas guy, but you really are the Christmas guy. What's with that, actually? Well, okay, before we, before I confess and unpack that, <laughs> isn't that, isn't that true of Dan a bit, uh, your, your, your partner, uh, that you feel that his love of Christmas is disproportionate <laughs> to the holiday itself or something like that? I feel like you're, I feel like I've heard you say sort of like, I don't hate Christmas, it's just that you all like it too much, like it's excessive. Yes, um, you, yeah, I think you and Dan as two central men in my life share being a little, maybe a little too much on Christmas. You know, we wanted to maybe have too many Christmas ornaments that cannot fit on any reasonably sized tree. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. I like Christmas. I'm positive about it, but there's just a level of spirit that I, I don't know why I just can't quite reach it. I really do want to untangle that even more to be like, oh, are you like it? What part do you like? But for me, I will say, well, first, um, this year, I must admit, I, it was really the first, so I'm 38 years old and it was the first time truly that I was like, do I still like Christmas anymore? It just feels <laughs> like the spirit is gone. And every time I tried to talk about that, to people, years. <laughs> I tried to like confess this as like, oh, you know, I'm going through something. 
And everybody was like, um, yeah, uh, this is not a surprise. You're an adult. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but no, but I'm like, not even excited to do the shopping. I'm not excited to like, I didn't do a Christmas card this year. And they're like, yeah, because Christmas kind of sucks. It's a lot of work. And I was like, no, but you don't understand. Like my child, like joy is gone. I don't want to watch the Grinch. I don't want to watch Ziggy's Christmas special. You know, like I don't want to just pop on the Charlie Brown Christmas music. And um, anyway, so Jen felt that this is a, a long time coming. Uh, I feel really sad for you, Tyler. Thank you. Yeah, it is sad. I died a little inside. I'm not actually sure why. Um, yeah. Other than it's a crap ton of work. I just feel like Christmas is now just work in my head. But the reason I love a Christmas episode of television is it takes me right back to some of the things that I loved about Christmas as a kid, which is like, oh, it's this special time of year. You're off from school for like a week or two. Mm -hmm. um, there's like TV shows and movies that you don't normally watch. Like, and I would love to watch like, you know how like every TV show did a version of a Christmas Carol. Like, I love that. I was obsessed with rewatching like you know, Christmas Carol and stuff like that. I liked being around the tree in the morning when it was, uh, the lights are on. Although I was always sort of alone by the tree. So I think of Christmas as a very melancholic, um, somewhat lonely holiday. And I kind of like that, you know, that's like the depressive brain in me is like <laughs> put on that Joni Mitchell sad Christmas song and really oh, like, wow. yeah, yeah. I, there's something, yeah. I think it's actually like kind of a depressing holiday. I mean, we haven't really talked about the Jesus of it all. I'm sure that's great. But as like not a religious person, for me, it's just about like the lights and uh, presents and Christmas cards and stuff. Huh. And sitting lonely next to a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Have you become, have you become a whiskey drinker at all in your late 30s? I feel like no, that's not yet. That feels <laughs> like I that should happen. It feels like it should. I just, I feel like it's sort of a perfect element to introduce to sitting in the dark, quiet loneliness by a Christmas tree. That's true. Yeah. Do you like whiskey? No, I don't. <laughs> I would like, I mean, I, I'd like to, but really as an image thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So cool. <laughs> Jen really likes whiskey. Um, we went to a faculty party once and I had said that she liked whiskey and mm -hmm. the person who was hosting the party like is super into whiskey and like we were just meeting them for the first time or whatever and so they were just so excited they were like oh Jen like let me show you all these whiskeys and she was like oh shit like I just like Jack Daniel you know like whatever yeah. like I'm you know a basic whiskey drinker and um and she likes whiskey cocktails especially not just like to drink straight whiskey and yeah. he was like, oh, you'll really like this scotch, though. Like, scotch is great, you know, whatever. And so she was, like, having to pretend to really like scotch and drink. And it was like, when he's like, of course you don't want ice in it, right? And she was like, yeah, no, you know. Because, as you know, it's difficult to say your basic preferences and worry that people won't judge you. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's very interesting because it feels like it does say a lot about you if you are happy with a whiskey neat right you know? right right it's it the, the stakes are different than ordering i don't know a cocktail of some kind where the strength and intensity of it yes. is 
watered down and sweetened up and all of that. Yeah, so that that's where I said image-wise, I would love to be a whiskey drinker, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm a drinker of cocktails that have umbrellas in them. Uh, love an umbrella cocktail. Yeah, I recently ordered a Malibu Bay Breeze at a bar and felt very little shame about it. Uh, and it was delicious. <laughs> it does sound delicious. And actually, we have... Is it Fleischmann's vodka that shows up in this? That's right. Episode. Um, so it did. It did make me think about the role of alcohol in a party and whether this vodka is the thing that completely saves. <laughs> I'm really that one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode is when he's like, "Do you think twenty bottles of vodka is enough to, or fifteen bottles of vodka is enough to get twenty people drunk?" And the guy is very seriously like, "Yeah, that'll do it." I love <laughs> says you're the expert yeah. <laughs> as the expert do you think this will be enough yeah 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 I don't know if it's the summary because I think we're branching in I'm ready story. okay so season two episode 10 Christmas party the secret Santa gift exchange goes awry as Michael's Yankee swap lands personalized presents in the wrong hands great so Tyler as you mentioned we have a Christmas TV episode Mm -hmm. as you have stated you love a christmas tv episode yeah so what do you take to be the conventions of a christmas episode because i'd be interested to see how we think that this engages with those you know how it maybe preserves some of those conventions or changes them or messes with them what are the things you think that unite christmas episodes usually that's a really good question and i should have thought about it beforehand uh so off the top of my head like i'll just say that this didn't much like the halloween episode we talked about right yeah this almost felt like it's the halloween episode when he fires devon yeah, right. um, so it's interesting that devon reappears on another holiday episode but similar to that one this felt like almost like an anti-christmas episode in that it's like not you know, you have the Christmas tree, you have a Christmas party, but we have lots of parties in this show. Um, so it's not like a party is an unusual element. Um, and I, I guess it's the gift exchange. That's really the unique dimension. Um, but I do kind of think like, okay, you need in a, okay. I usually think that in a holiday episode, you both need specific elements of the holiday and mm-hmm. not simply like so trick-or-treating versus just wearing costumes like trick-or-treating is like a kind of action or plot i think for a halloween episode okay. so for christmas i guess giving a gift or trying to plan a gift so jim's whole like planning of the gift mm-hmm. is a, a unique Christmassy thing um yeah. i mean i guess it could be for birthdays or other kinds of things but the fact that everybody's getting gifts or whatever mm-hmm. and then um I do kind of think the other dimension that's missing here, but is fine, is uh, like there's a genre shift or something. Like I feel like there's a genre of Christmas stories hmm. that is um, maybe another element of lots of Christmas episodes. So like learning some sort of moral lesson, reflecting yeah. back on the year, um, yeah. uh, oh, learning something about the value of money versus the value of you know actually maybe that is a play actually going on in this episode or, or the reverse of the failure to learn that lesson uh-huh. um, 
uh, yeah, family, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the other thing. What's the classic story of most Christmas, like rom-coms, for example, or um, Christmas movies is like, oh, people work too much and they need to like take a moment to appreciate that, you know, actually it's family and small town life is more important than the big city and yeah, totally. uh, your, your, your work, your job. Um, so it's kind of interesting to have this all set in an office. I don't know. So I guess those are my initial thoughts on what makes a Christmas. Although I'm also thinking too of lots of Christmas episodes that are just riffs on it's a wonderful life, Christmas Carol, Mm-hmm. Miracle at 34th Street, all of that. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Or do you hate Christmas movies? Mm, probably Elf. I like Elf. Oh, it's a classic. Come on. So good. So good. I like I like Home Alone too. Interesting. Which I didn't see that coming. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's a big damn. That's a big damn pick. Um, but yeah, I get I get kind of in the mood for Home Alone around Christmas. But yeah, I'd say maybe mostly Elf. Uh, I haven't really even seen the really classic Christmas movies. Like, I don't think I saw It's a Wonderful Life. I that is depressing. That movie, uh huh, and maybe the fact that I haven't seen it. No, 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 you've saved yourself. (laughs) Okay, yeah, a Christmas story is also, I think that one's kind of bleak too. Is that the you might shoot yourself in the eye gun? Yeah, you yearn for this present and you get it and then it hurts you. Okay, okay. I guess that's what adulthood is. Yeah. I like Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay. I love it. And I am not like a religious person. um, And yet these stupid little kids talking about the meaning of Christmas and getting the tiny little tree coming together. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So much. I will say, I don't know if you were in the, in our apartment when I was like every Christmas up until this year, I would play that Charlie Brown Christmas music on like repeat. And I don't know if you remember this, but for those who don't know our old roommate, Josh, Josh is like the sweetest, most Midwestern nice person you've ever met who is never going to say to you like, Hey, like, you know, I'm annoyed or whatever. But I had that fucking Charlie Brown thing on infinite repeat and I'm like wrapping presents and writing cards. And I just remember him coming out of his room and saying, um, do you think maybe we could put on something else? Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like, you know, he's really annoyed by the way, by the fact that he's anyway. So yeah, I like that one. Have we talked about Charlie Brown Christmas and Josh in the past on this podcast? Have we? Maybe. Did I tell that exact story already? I'm not sure. I'm trying oh. to remember if you and I have been talking about it separately, but maybe it's just that every time we have the possibility of a holiday-related episode, we get caught up in the Charlie Brown of it all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jen hates Charlie Brown. She thinks they are, like, depressed, um, mopey, melancholic children and, and like, thinks that they should... um you know, shut up about their problems. You thought I was heartless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really drawn to people who are like super cynical and pessimistic. <laughs> okay, wait, so... Um, I lost our train. Oh, wait, I know where I wanted to go. So you said, you mentioned the Charlie Brown kids talking about the meaning of Christmas. And I feel like that's another element of the Christmas episode is there's always something about the meaning of Christmas yeah. and it can be 
the really just part of Christmas potentially, but I feel like it does it also doesn't have, that's only one version of it. Cause it also yeah. can be the version that you said about, you know, being with your family and not working as much and that yeah. whole kind of category of meaning of Christmas. Totally. Yeah. As right. I was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. This it's interesting to think about <laughs> you have the kind of lack of lack of those lessons that we have in this episode but at the same time, some of the language yeah. of those lessons, you know, so when Michael talks about the meaning of gift giving, for example, and uh, my all time favorite line when he says, happy birthday, Jesus, sorry, your party's so lame. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say that at Christmas as much as I possibly can. I will tell you that much. That's really funny. <laughs> I'm trying to find the line that he says about like gifts and money. Um, I can't remember it, but it's just so funny when he's basically like, you know, the more you spend, the better. Yes. He says, here we go. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It's like this tangible thing you can point to and say, hey, man, I love you this many dollars worth. I do have a fundamental narrative question here, um, but it might be a psychological question. I remember thinking about it the first time I watched the episode and it still didn't feel resolved when I rewatched it, you know, to prep. Um, so basically I was sort of confused what, okay. He gets the iPod for Ryan. He goes oh. over the $20 limit by yes. a lot. Um, <laughs> And my impression of that was to that he's like, look at me, I'm the best, I'm the most generous, I'm the most thoughtful, and also he really likes Ryan. Mm -hmm. But what triggers him is getting the oven mitt. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, is he expecting that everybody would also go above and beyond? Mm -hmm. um, and if they were to do that, then his gift would no longer be special and unique. And then he does not seem to care that Ryan ends up with the iPod or not. It doesn't matter to him. So I was like, what does he want? Uh, anyway, that, that was, I was a bit confused about that. I, not, I didn't think it was bad writing. I just thought it was like Michael Scott's psychology is. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's complicated. And because it is important that he be the best one like that he'd be the best gift giver but at the same time maybe it's too that he kind of wants to be that best gift giver but then ultimately if he does show his love the amount of dollars that he spends on an ipod then he also even though he wants to be the top like he also wants to be shown that same kind of love in return yeah. Right, and right. he doesn't get it, and so kind of loses his mind and goes haywire once that happens. This made me think about, you know, how it feels like sort of a classic study that anthropologists do about you know, gift giving in societies, yeah. like the structure of gift giving in society. And oh, so, this is I why I love you. Yes, go, <laughs> go here. So I really wanted to put this episode in terms of the anthropology of the gift exchange. Oh my <laughs> God. The anthropologist takes specifically on 
secret Santa because if part of the idea is that various kinds practices and rituals of exchange are really fundamental to societies and to the way they kind of sustain themselves and hold themselves together, then what is the anthropology of the secret Santa? What is it supposed to do in an office community maybe? And what does it actually do? Oh my fucking God. Yes. I love this question. This is what keeps me in the podcast. I got to say, this is what I come back for. Uh, and this is what you get. I think when you have like a professor <laughs> break down your office episodes for you. So do you have like an initial thoughts on this? Uh, Cause this is an exciting new, new thought for me. I feel like I sort of expended all my energy on the question. <laughs> okay. Well, so I was, cause I was trying to, th- sometimes now as I watch the episodes, I'm, I try to be like, okay, what would Megan notice? Like, what is Megan gonna <laughs> pay attention to? Or what should I try to notice that, that I feel like you've taught me to see? And so one, I felt like it was a Megan insight when I started to pay attention to which gifts people get for each other or for themselves. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's a Megan uh, analysis, you know, it's like, and so I was sort of like thinking about that. And so maybe that could be one place for us to think about here, but I guess the idea of the secret Santa, which I don't think I've ever experienced one. I've done some, I've Jen's, uh, step mother's family does a, they call it greed, but it's kind of like a Yankee swap, I guess. Okay. Um, and so I've experienced that, you know, once or twice, as a, as an anthropological, you know, uh, <laughs> observer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I've never experienced secret Santa, but the, what I imagine the pleasure of it is, is sort of like, I think about what you like, you know, so it's a way of demonstrating intimacy. On the other hand, it can't be too intimate, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, partly because these people don't know each other that well. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess that's kind of what's interesting about the tension is that like Creed gets a jacket from his own thing for Jim because he forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, but Jim has put all this personal thought into the teapot. Um, yeah. but it's almost too much personal, mm-hmm. you know, because it's definitely like, I'm going to say, I love you. That's what's in the card. Right. Um, I thought that Oscar's keychain was really interesting for creed he's just like i think he's irish he's basically like i don't know anything about him uh-huh. so this is what i did you know um i, I don't know so that, i guess that's my initial thought is kind of that, that it's supposed to be a representation of the intimacy you have but uh-huh. if you're if it's an impersonal workspace you don't really have that intimacy so it's a it's an it's a way of generating it or pretending that you have it or something yeah i you said that Jim's is almost too intimate like his goes too far in being too personal and that just made me realize that maybe his gift is actually very similar to Michael's <gasps> right like Michael's value goes too high on the dollars and we might argue the love for Ryan but the Jim's right, he like he stays within the cost but he does not stay within the emotional ground rules yes you're at Santa <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like what I actually thought that Kevin's foot bath was the best gift. <laughs> I mean, I'll ha- we'll have to go back through and see what other ones there were. Yeah. But I was like, that's a good one because it's like any everybody has feet. 
and everybody could um, need to wash them and enjoy the massage, right? So it's like impersonal. Like I remember one time in Greed, we won a toaster oven and I was, and everybody wanted the toaster oven, which I found so interesting because it's like, but everybody kind of has one or has a toaster of some sort. But on the other hand, they always break. So it's like, it's generic, but it's also specific. I don't know. Hmm. What else was there? There was the oven mitt. There was the handmade oven mitt. Yep. There is the baby poster, which we're going to have to talk about. Oh, yeah. Side side branch to discuss that. There is Kelly's desk (laughs) that Stanley gets for her. That was really funny. There is the shower radio. Oh. Stories. Yeah, I had questions about that. I wanted to know what the short stories were. Was there any info? There was not. It was just a reference to a book of short stories. Although, did you see, did we have, could we see it at all? I don't think so. I don't don't think we were able to see it. You said um, paintball lessons. Yeah, paintball lessons with Dwight, which are worth at least $2,000, I think he said. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's everything, right? The, it might be. Or close. It's close um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. Because we talked about the Shamrock keychain. Um, Most of them. Go ahead. The, like the logic of the secret Santa too, and it being secret. And I guess in the way that they do secret Santa. So I sometimes did, kids at school sometimes did secret Santas. I always kind of hated it. I don't know if it mm. was with a class or something like that but you'd spend I think it was like you could have a maybe a ten dollar maximum but it's over three gifts or something like that so you're just you're giving them like three little things but they don't know who you are until the end the structure of this secret Santa exchange seems that they draw the names they don't know who it is except for Kevin who has himself and they're not supposed to tell except once they start giving the gifts then they do say who it's from so the Santa giver basically comes out at the time of giving right but it is strange actually i did it did seem like performative in that way of like or well and it's interesting because michael doesn't allow them to do the thing that i think the secret santa is supposed to do which is Mm -hmm. they're supposed to then narrate the gift and he's Mm -hmm. like moving on moving on moving on Mm -hmm. is is part of the structure of a secret Santa. I'm thinking about the different ways they could have gone about this because it doesn't really remain secret. It almost seems like it's just a, a gift, ex- like a name draw style gift exchange where you just get something from one person. But I guess is the part of the structure of this, maybe including its secrecy, that there is no direct reciprocity. Mm. Like you get, and maybe this is the part of the problem that Michael runs into because it feels like a big part of any of cultures around gift giving is the issue of reciprocity, right? And how the giving kind of circulates and comes back. And with Secret Santa, it takes out the reciprocation. So you also can't know who's got you. You can't kind of gauge ahead of time what to get. There is the spending limit but you're not 
getting you're not giving something and then receiving something in return it's just right or separately like it's not within one direct exchange is the value of that that it it um distributes the exchange over a broader like it connects you to more people than you would otherwise be because yeah. it would be dyadic right it would be like me and creed creed to me yeah. rather yeah. than just kind of like you're linked in a chain yeah yeah it does link everybody you're right in more of a chain and it takes it does something different too so when jim gets pam if because i imagine if, if it's just pam and jim giving each other gifts the stakes of it are kind of different yeah because you don't want to be uneat the stressful thing about gift giving <laughs> if you don't set clear guidelines is that you don't want it to be awkwardly uneven yeah or at least for me, yeah, uh, you know, you don't want to go overboard or underboard, whether it's financially or emotionally. Yes. But this does kind of give Jim then an opportunity where it's not going to be an exchange. It's just a chance for him to give her something. Which is like, as a writing device, it's very clever, I think, to basically create a scenario in which him giving her a gift is not weird, like because of the structure yeah. of the, yeah. yeah. Um, it was random chance that he drew her, you know, so you have to, I guess, accept that premise. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like because of that, it makes it so that it's like, it gives him an opportunity. It's an impersonal opportunity to make a personal thing. Um, yeah. yeah. I, it's inter I was going to ask you about, you, you're worried about the unevenness of uh, exchange, and I totally get that. I feel it has always made me so annoyed in my family where they like generate lists and they're like, here's what I want. And then you're just supposed to go buy the thing, wrap it and give it to them. So there's no surprise. Uh -huh. And um, I remember when I told that to Jen, she was like, well, that sounds good. That's easy. And I was like, yeah, but like, I don't want, I, you know, I would rather a gift that I didn't like, like, mm -hmm. um, than one that I asked for because the surprise to me is definitive of a gift. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. even money to me is better as a version of that because yeah. I can take the money and go surprise myself or buy something else yeah. with it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, so I've always been really insistent that on the surprise dimension of, uh, of a gift. Hmm. I like that, that you're really insistent on it, that you take a strong stance. See, I, in my family, we do not do sibling gifts at all. That sounds relieving. Dan and I don't give each other gifts even <laughs> like we just like, we'll do gifts, you know, with our parents. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, we just eliminated the entire the entire question. And is that because of your hatred for Christmas or just the practical uh, nature? <laughs> <laughs> I think the practical yeah, the nature of it. And it being yeah, like it's hard to get something that someone really wants and then, you know, you don't want to just have extra crap laying around. So you know, you don't want extra toaster ovens if you don't want a toaster oven. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to inflict an extra toaster oven on someone who doesn't want an extra toaster oven. Yeah, 
That's why I found, I was like, oh, the Yankee swap here, or not the Yankee swap, the um, Secret Santa with a $20 limit, I actually appreciate as a concept because it's like, um, I don't know, like if you're going to, if people are going to, there is an inevitable like arms race mm-hmm. <laughs> potentially of like, oh, you you gave me a hundred dollars worth of gifts. Oh, God damn it. Now I have to like reciprocate, you know, I mean, you're yeah. right about that. Like as so fraught. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I definitely have said to people like, kind of like, oh, you know, I'm giving you this, but we are not, we don't need to like do a thing now. This is not like a forever. Yes. yes. Uh, we don't um, need to get into a thing. That's a great, great. I gave somebody in my department, like a book, you know, and I was like, because they had done something cool, you know? And I was yeah. like, but this, we're not like, we don't need to like be, you know, gift exchange or whatever. Uh, yes. um, but then on the other hand, I guess you're trying to manage the economy of uh, whatever, but still um, Michael. So that's the problem. Michael is the boss. That's the other thing. The, the, the secret Santa would level the hierarchy and mm-hmm. he does not want that. He still wants to be the boss who has the most money, who has the most prestige or whatever it is that he ego stuff. And um so he really can't avoid, he can't let himself not spend the money. He thinks it's so generous. It's mm-hmm. really amusing that he can't see like, oh, I fired somebody. I got a personal bonus and then I used it to spend on Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Let's but I was, yeah, I was kind of curious whether you think him buying the vodka mitigates that like, cause he is giving them a gift and he's yeah. breaking, but he's breaking another rule and the amount that he spends on vodka, which I wrote down, it's like $166, I think. And and how many cents? 41 cents. 41 cents. Okay. <laughs> for 15 bottles of vodka. I was like, but you got a $3,000 bonus. Like you still have a lot of money left over. Like, anyway, I, I don't know. I, I kept thinking about that. Like, what, what are we to think? How does he process value? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Okay. How does he process value? I did, I did want to recognize the fact that he also asked the party, party planning committee to double ice cream, double the napkins. <laughs> double. <laughs> so he really wanted to lavish it up a little bit. But I love that that involves doubling things like napkins and they still run out of cups anyway. I forgot about that. Doubling didn't quite work out, but yeah, he is, he is trying to spread some of his some of the wealth, but this is, hmm, so this is interesting. How, what was your question? What does he, or how does he see value? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just really like wondering what you thought about that. Like whether his buying the vodka at the end kind of makes up for it or whether the people in the office just, I mean, I always feel like they're forced narratively to just be like, oh, whatever. Cause yeah. they can't, what, what can you do, you know? Yeah, yeah, what else can you do? And so I guess the thing, has to be vodka <laughs> that he buys like it can't just be contributing more cupcakes or something right like it, it, we need a we need a mind-altering element to come oh in. interesting <laughs> to, to uh mix things up because the the tenor of the party really changes pre and post vodka infusion it seems like a successful party is that your read of it seems like a very successful party actually it seems yeah. like it's running a little low early on before the vodka but that seems to turn it around 
So this is a pro-alcohol episode. It's like, it, uh, <laughs> I think it's a pro-alcohol episode. I was wondering what's the, what is the message ultimately about, um, about parties and alcohol in the place of vodka in the work workplace. And I think it's ultimately <laughs> pro. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's firmly, I do think it's interesting at Michael's vision of what a party is. I was like, yeah. okay, like I haven't seen Animal House. I don't this think. Is that what that stuff comes from? But I was betting. It just felt like very much like a, some kind of like frat boy or college party stereotype. Yeah. Like where does, where do we get this idea of the lampshade on your head? Yes. That that's like the sign of a party going really well. Yeah. And the making out, I mean, I was like, well, this is definitely an episode that's like, you know, like many episodes before kind of a Me Too moment or whatever. But I was also like, even within the logic of the show, I was like, is everybody like cool with the idea of making out with each other here? Like, (laughs) you know, like uh, it doesn't seem like there's much sexual attraction or possibility besides Jim and Pam. And then I guess Dwight and Angela and then Meredith seems like a party animal, maybe, you know, but <laughs> yeah, although true. maybe that's a lot of people, I'm not sure, yeah, Pat, Pat her, but he's not there yet. Kind of a lot of options. Or but if you, if you said to my department, like, oh, people be making out in the hallways, I think everybody, well, aside from the obvious workplace uh, decorum, I think there would be some like, how many are people are single? What are the real, like the idea <laughs> that everybody's just going to suddenly start making out in an orgy? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this, maybe that is part of uh, Michael's fantasy. Although Kelly does kiss Dwight. She does? What was that? Yes. So I don't know. Michael ended up being kind of more, <laughs> more right than expected. Yes. Kelly, Kelly kissed Dwight. I will also say that before that, it felt like Kelly and Toby were kind of leaning in a little close oh let me try to remember the places where this happened um one of them was when i think michael was talking to somebody i can't remember but this was a shot that was basically over the shoulder Mm -hmm. or it was they were in the background of another conversation it was when michael tells jim about his gift actually when michael tells jim about the ipod and that it's for ryan Kelly and Toby are in the background of the shot and they're talking and they're kind of leaning together and it's kind of flirtatious. Mm. Mm. And during the gift exchange, they're not sitting in the chairs. They're behind the circle, kind of leaning on the filing cabinet next oh. to them. So I felt like there was a little bit of a, a little bit of an erotic charge in the Toby Kelly scenario. Maybe they're just friends because they work together in the um what's that thing called again? Annex or the alcohol? Yeah, maybe they're close because they work in the annex a lot together. And maybe I'm doing the same thing that Pam says that we shouldn't do in jumping to too many conclusions about men and women being friends in the office. But fair. I feel like the party atmosphere elevated a little bit of the potential. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, but my thoughts mainly about the party were kind of about that question of like, where is Michael's idea coming from here? But I was yeah. also charmed by the digital camera. Yes. Taking photos of these things. And they mention it like it's for the newsletter. Um, I just thought that was so funny, too. I was like, who is getting this newsletter? Like, to, who is it being distributed to? You are all 
That was another practical question I had. It's like Pam's answering the phones, but it's dark out and it's snowing. I was like, what time? How late is the party during office hours? I think it is. It began um, during office hours. So the gift exchange, the moment when Michael gets the oven mitt, walks out, comes back, turns it into Yankee Swap, it's 4.30. Wow. Okay. Damn. Yeah. You were... It's like... <laughs> You really should have been like a CSI, you know. Uh, I happened to see the clock in the background, which actually made me get interested because you've noticed the time before. Yeah. And if you think about what they're doing and how they have to sort of keep track of that clock with their writing. Mm. And when they use it, and then if they're doing multiple takes as they're filming it too, they have to constantly be readjusting That's a good point. The clock to keep it at the right. Oh my. Place for the narrative huh that was for that was 4 30 and that goes back to, to so michael's question about value because phyllis phyllis was sort of interesting in this episode yes but phyllis makes him this handmade oven mitt which doesn't seem super safe actually for pulling things out of the oven ah. the, the looseness of hand knit i, I never would have thought of that you are so on it smart. but just you know it didn't feel like the most secure for its purpose i wish she had just gone with mittens like two mittens but it's an oven mitt but michael responds so basically phyllis is saying that i only care about you and homemade oven mitts worth so his value then is on there's the spending there's the money but there's also the sexiness of the ipod yeah that's right 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 like there's the apple product that has both it's actual financial value, but then the extra kind of aura and glow mm -hmm. that an iPod gets. So he does not, how does he value? He does not value her time or thoughtfulness, uh, but he does value iPods. But what other gift would he have wanted? I don't think there's any gift there that he would have, that would have satisfied him. That's what I could not understand. And I was like, all right, well, maybe he thinks there's gifts to come that will be Good yeah, kind of gambling it a little bit. Does he end up with anything? Like, I'm trying to remember what his final gift is. I don't think so. Or I it don't think we're yeah. going back and getting something. Okay, so in the original concept of the Secret Santa, we've established your anthropological argument <laughs> is that it creates kind of, um, it binds the office together in a mm -hmm. kind of chain you it's arbitrarily chosen so you could have anybody which makes it like not hierarchical and or potentially at least and yeah. it makes across departments and stuff like that so yeah. it kind of brings everybody together and then the 20 dollar limit limits the um amount mm -hmm. and you don't as you said you don't get direct reciprocity but what you do get is kind of thoughtfulness going towards somebody else and coming to you so like it's about specific something specifically for you yeah um, which was interesting because it's in the summary they say personalized presence and then i think um jim says like we got gifts for specific people so yeah feeling personalized so then what does yankee swap do as a exchange model mm -hmm. and doesn't pam say that they call it nasty christmas <laughs> yes name. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, Jen's step family does, they call it greed. Um, yeah. 
which yeah. you can see that vibe here where it's, I mean, that's w- exactly what it is for Michael, like kind of. Yeah. Oh, when someone mentions calling it white elephant, maybe that mm. was pain. But it, yeah, okay, so let's establish. So what are the rules of this and how is it structured differently? So a person takes a gift and then, then opens it. The next person can either take that or take another one. Mm-hmm. Then if someone has it taken, then they can go back to the pot or they can go take from somebody else. But there are rules. So like one gift can only be stolen once within a round, right? So like if you take the iPod from me, then Kevin cannot come and take the iPod from you immediately afterward. That's the part I never understood. What is a round defined as? Oh, that's a good, yeah. What is the round? I'm, this is why I'm not good at like math or games because I don't understand. <laughs> okay, what is a round? Okay, so somebody takes something. Hmm. Does the round restart, do you think, every time something gets taken out of the middle? Maybe that makes it's sense. Clean until somebody goes back to the middle and then that restarts the next round. You're doing research. I'm like going through, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going through the script right now trying to be like. We can, uh, we can always, because there's at some point where someone says, you know, that's already been stolen this round, so you can't take it. Right. But then it can't be a chain where just everyone takes the iPod from each other. Okay, here are the rules of Yankee Swap. Okay. <laughs> Each participant brings a wrapped, unmarked gift, places it in a designated area. Guests are given numbers as they arrive, or their names are randomly drawn, and they select and unwrap gifts from the pile with a twist. The person who blah, 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 blah. Okay, during the selection of a wrapped gift, they can visually blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, oh, this is taking too much time for me to find out who what the round is. Um, but this could, website is called secretsanta.com, <laughs> which I find like the, the Yankee swap has a very different vibe. Maybe it's supposed to be in the way Michael does it. It turns out to be mean. Yes. But if you start with that, I don't think it's mean, right? Isn't it more supposed to be like, it could be funny or it could be kind of competitive and sort of a jovial way it's almost more of an activity like yes. it's more of a game it is secret santa is but the I problem think... is michael has made it about getting rid of the handmade gift from phyllis well that is kind of okay so as i recall like i'm just going to go from my you know personal experience with greed but like everybody buys you know, random stuff. And some people buy, you know, thoughtful or not thoughtful. Some people buy things that you might want, like a toaster oven. Although I guess there, you might not want that. Some people buy like, you know, a huge thing, a toilet paper. And you're like, oh my God, it's this big box. It's going to be amazing. And then it's just, I must admit during the pandemic though, that seemed like a pretty sweet deal, uh, getting the toilet paper. So, um, maybe that's another thing about Christmas. Now it's like, I, now I actually do want underwear. It's so boring to be an adult. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, so, but that, that is to say that like, if you, you know, wrap up a pumpkin or whatever, then it's about trying to get rid of something and try. So I think that's the white elephant concept is like, you're trying oh, to, yeah, it's something you don't actually want you're trying to avoid or get rid of something. So that's part of what makes what Michael does. So mean is like, he takes a specific thing chosen for him, made for him, 
and then flips it so that now the goal is to get rid of it, not to. And that's why it's so mean when he's like, does the reverse psychology with Meredith. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's about avoiding. It's like a, what's musical chairs? I no old maid. You're trying to avoid getting the negative thing. Getting, getting left with the bad thing. So I guess the question is too, then with the group, how does this, kind of socially what is it supposed to do and what do the things do differently so with the secret santa when you're choosing it for a particular person it's supposed to be thoughtful you know like you show thoughtfulness to someone else and hopefully ideally i guess you feel thought about or you feel cared about in some way yeah with maybe swap if it is done if it starts out in that way would it be that it's more of a bonding experience for the group as a whole because it's fun and sort of yeah yeah funny. but I'm also seeing the way I think the rules within these systems are so important because the problem is yeah. in the Yankee swap style if you get if some people get a goofy stupid gift and some people get a really desirable gift yeah then it's weird yeah that's a question that I don't understand is like so how do you decide which way to go yeah yeah but maybe that's in a way, it's almost like Yankee Swap is a meta experience, right? Where it's like, what's fun about it is the, as you said, that it's more like a game. You're trying to avoid yeah. something, but it's also impersonal from the beginning, right? Like you're getting yeah. something that anybody could get, even you. You might end yeah. up getting the thing that you yeah. got. So, yeah. um, so the what so the experience of the exchange is the like uh, the 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 um, the laughter and the and the and the being like oh my god can you believe they got that and oh I can't believe yes. it you know it's all the arbitrariness yes contingency is the experience itself. yeah so I wonder what then ultimately functions more effectively to bond a community together oh man you are so freaking interesting today holy shit. That is such a great question. Oh if my we have god. Any, if we have any anthropologists out there listening, please call in. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? I you know, I I kind of feel like the Yankee swap maybe works better. Yeah. Because it's a shared, I think it ends up feeling more like a shared experience. And some people get such dumb things in the Secret Santa. Yeah. The keychain, I hate that. It is so boring and awful. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean. Well, okay. Which gift in the secret Santa do you think was the best gift? Great question. In some ways, obviously Jim's. Hmm. But. I think I just like I like the teapot. I don't feel like I can choose gems on the basis of all the what does he call them? Side gift bonus gifts. He calls them bonus gifts. I feel like I almost can't choose it on the basis of bonus gifts because that's I don't know. Why am I making that rule for myself? I don't know. But I do like that teapot. I think it's cute, cute teapot. The interesting thing though, like with what is a good, I guess there's a way that the show also sorts out what is a good gift so I want to ask you yeah I want to know for you what for you would be the good gift in this but also then if we figure out how the episode kind of sorts out 
what is and isn't a good gift because everybody wants the iPod. So even though some gifts are personal and are meaningful, the value of the thing ultimately does override the sentimental value to an extent. Oh my God, this isn't, yeah, holy crap. Because then, ooh, okay, so the other thing, let me do a little side branch and we'll come back to this. So when Pam goes and takes the iPod, her thing gets taken or her thing has been taken. So she has a chance to pick and she picks the iPod and Jim says, you sure you don't want the teapot? And she says, I mean, it's an iPod. Mm -hmm. So she ultimately like the value, the valuable gift does override the sentimental value gift. We'll go back to the fact that she ends up with a teapot. She chooses the teapot in the end, but what is the meaning of I mean? So I also use that. She says, I mean, it's an iPod. Right. And I use that too, but I, I just noticed her saying it and thinking the meaning of I mean, those are two words where the meaning isn't exactly the thing, like it's not the denotation or it's not exactly the thing that it's saying, yeah. but somehow I mean carries a lot of yeah. weight. It just says, I mean, it's an iPod. It's as if, you know, how could you possibly disagree? Like, it's like, you must surely even you, the, you know, the person that got me this thing must understand that this is more desirable. Like, it's so interesting to put her reaction there in that moment alongside Kevin. Kevin got exactly what he wanted for himself. (laughs) He gets it. And then he's like, oh, shoot. Like, maybe (laughs) I should have taken the iPod. But I found so funny about that not I mean first the delivery of that whole thing is just so funny (laughs) it's really good but then I thought the cutaway interviews in this episode were excellent but um but also like he has a specific desire for himself he has he has essentially satisfied that desire Mm -hmm. and then the exchange value of the iPod has negated even his authentic desire. Like, so he's like second guessing what he has and wanted and was enough for him simply because this more, you know, attractive um, item, attractive by virtue of its cost and whatever, um, perceived desirability has like, has, has sort of tainted his own desire. And I was like, that's capitalism, baby. Like, fuck. (laughs) But I don't think I realized that until you started talking about this, like how the show, how this episode really shows how the, how um, relative value can kind of poison. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, uh, Like it's cause it's not, it's not use value. It's not about like how useful is the oven mitt. It's more about sentimental value. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, but yeah, it is, I kept asking myself, why would Pam not take the teapot? And I was like, oh, we're supposed to think at the level of narrative that it's because she doesn't realize that there's even more sentimental stuff in it. But I was like, A, is she in love with this guy or not? B, he knows she wanted that teapot and she got it. Like, what's her deal? (laughs) wrong though Tyler is she wrong (laughs) I mean it's an iPod Uh, I I'm always a little like 
astonished and delighted at how much you're like willing to sort of be like, you know what, Phyllis is kind of wrong. And like, <laughs> and like, you know what, Pam was right. Like, <laughs> I know it doesn't seem so, so surprising given because we all have phones now. So it's oh. hard to remember what a video iPod would have been. Yeah, that was a hot, that was a hot item, Tyler. That had a lot. So yeah, it was, it was valuable and it was cool. Yeah. And so, well, the, the point about Phyllis actually and how value works, because you're right, it's got sentimental value, but it, it's also the only thing where the, we can actually see the labor of it. Yeah. <laughs> the labor that went into it is actually accessible. And yeah. It's an unalienated commodity. <laughs> exactly it's the only one there <laughs> it only when Meredith does take it based on Michael's reverse psychology it has nothing to do with his reverse psychology but her feeling for looking at Phyllis and feeling seeing Phyllis's face and feeling yeah. for her and yeah. taking it for her you're right um, I've lost track of of where I was going here yeah but for for Pam I can understand taking the iPod <laughs> But I guess I'm asking if she knew, do you think she would have still taken it if she'd known about the side gifts or the special, the extra gifts? Question. I feel like knowing about the extra gifts would just make it more awkward. I think it would become yes. impossible to know her actual desire because he'd have to be managing his feelings then at a different level. She, so she already knows she's kind of hurting his feelings but it would take it to a different mm. level. I mean, if she turns down the iPod for the teapot, even not yeah. knowing the other things, then she is explicitly like um, expressing her desire for him, right? Or her, at least her knowledge that like his, do you know what I mean? Like it, yes. she, it's, and we yeah. know that she's, either incapable of acknowledging her desire for him or reluctant to do so kind of explicitly and publicly. So- yeah. um, Do we talk then about when she actually does go and take the iPod, or not the iPod, the um, teapot? I really would like to have known how Jim would have felt had he known that the reason mm -hmm. I think she wants the teapot is because Roy is like, great, now I don't have to get you one. But I, there was this part of, I can't believe I'm going to pull a Megan and I'm going to defend Roy. I guess I was like, you guys are a couple. You've been together a long time. Like if he, if he spends like 300 bucks or whatever on that iPod, like then that's $300 you guys don't have. So like, yeah. so why shouldn't he be happy that- and also both of them are more working class. Like he works in the warehouse and she's the receptionist. So they're not salespeople. So I felt like the episode was kind of shaming Roy's working class kind of relief. And uh -huh. then secondly, she's like, well, what are you going to get me instead? And he's like, I don't know, a sweater. I did not take that to be an, an authentic description of what he was going to get because it will be a gift. So he can't tell her. Oh. She didn't know before that it was going to yeah. be an iPod. So why should she know now what he's going to get? I, I don't know. I, so anyway, I was really like, now she wants to give it up to spite the guy that she should be building a life with. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. What's her deal? Okay. Well, I think that, I think we can 
let's ask about what her motivations are and what is going on for Pam there. I think this might be my favorite episode we've ever recorded. I Well, I think we were all anticipating that that was going to <laughs> But we haven't even scratched the surface of Christmas, but oh my God, this is my favorite. You are blowing my mind left and right. Every time I'm just like, damn, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. I love this so much. Anyway, all right, keep going. <laughs> well, I absolutely love it that you have stepped in to defend Roy here. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done yeah, to me? I think that you've... Um... I think you really helped me to better see Roy in this because I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> if he cannot buy her an iPod, then yeah, save the money. Because it's her money. His, his money is basically her money too, or it's going to be. I probably shouldn't assume, I should probably shouldn't make all those assumptions about their finances. But um, <laughs> but I think you're right. What, he It makes sense. If an iPod has already arrived from another source, fantastic. There's no need to spend $400 if we don't have to. So I think you're right. I think you're right about Roy. And I feel like I actually misjudged him in that scene. It, just to follow up on that. I mean, does that not suggest that Pam agrees with Michael's point of view that like the most thoughtful gift is the most expensive one? Like, or is that unfair to her? Because what's bothering her isn't the, the cost, but that he just is relieved he doesn't have to, have to get her something. Get her something, but like, still, it's it. It wasn't clear. It's not clear to me that a sweater or an iPod, which one's more thoughtful. It's just clear which one's more expensive. Is it, or is uh, that is that naive? Is that naive? Surprised that she was surprised that he did not know. She did not seem to know he was going to get her an iPod. So does it actually follow your gift value logic? Mm. And is the sweater not exciting because she has a million sweaters because she's wearing a sweater every day? Yeah, that's true. I mean, he definitely sounds blasé. It's like, yeah, I'll get you this. Yeah. And her sweater's not great, must her say. Sweaters, her sweaters are not is great. Is he buying those sweaters? I don't think uh, Roy is really going to up her sweater game. Mm-mm. But I'm also a person who's like, I am not offended by being given something really functional and really traditionally domestic or something like I'll be delighted to receive a vacuum for example uh, um <laughs> that's the pull quote for this episode I, 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 I'll be delighted to receive a vacuum I really would I think for Pam maybe the you know I'm just going to give you something basic that you need anyway is it that it's something yeah, so sweat, she just she kind of needs sweaters. It's already part of her rotation. It's safe. Mm-hmm. And it maybe surprised her a little bit with the iPod. But let's question what, what is really motivating her. And is it just, does she take the iPod just to spite Roy, as you suggested? Or is there something more to it? Because it seems like the moment, although maybe this ultimately does back up your argument about spiting Roy. Because when she's in the kitchen and Roy is talking to Daryl, and they're kind of, she's standing there with them, but they're not really paying much attention to her. And then she looks out through the window toward where Dwight is with the teapot. And then it seems she kind of has a feeling on her face about the teapot. And then that's when she goes, I think the next scene, it goes to her actually having the teapot. So like we've seen her look at it, make that decision. Yeah. That she's going to go get it. So interesting. 
And when Jim walks over to her desk then and she's looking at it and she says, I'm just looking at my gift and she holds it up and she's happy about it. And she doesn't yet know, she hasn't opened it. She hasn't yet discovered the things inside. So what do you think she is? I don't know. What is she choosing or what is she valuing? What's going on in that choice? I do. Yeah. I would really like to know more. I don't know. We should talk more about, I mean, I bet we'll have lots of opportunities to talk about the Roy Pam situation, but it was interesting. The show was trying to tell us that his having a conversation with Daryl about football is like bad because he's ignoring her. Uh But I was kind of like, I don't like he's, they're the outsiders at this Christmas party. Good point. So you know, it makes sense that they would be like connecting. And yeah, I guess we're meant to take though that like he's just always ignoring Pam. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. You know, I mean, like, yeah, then he, if that's the case, then yeah, he's definitely a dick. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, but anyway, now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, that's why she wanted the teapot is because she recognize she starts to recognize that he's uh, more thoughtful and cares more specifically about what she thinks and is feeling and what's going on with her. Um, I did think it was great writing, by the way, when she says like, I'm happy with my choice. And I was like, mm-hmm, nice, nice. Uh, um, okay, so he takes the card away. I presume that this is him saying, I love you and you should leave Roy and be with me forever and ever. I don't, what do you think it says? What would you have written? Mm, what would I have written? But so he says the, this is a moment actually that I, or Jim moment I really liked. And when he's wrapping the gift and he's putting it together and he has a little interview, by the way, he's really good at wrapping presents. It was a really well wrapped gift. Um, You know, tight, like kind of tightly sealed edges, no extra space in there. Mm -hmm. But as he's wrapping it up, he says something like, um, you know, isn't Christmas the time to show that you care? Ooh, and there, I guess Jim has the most, maybe Jim has the most cliched Christmas episode line. <laughs> but he just has this little vulnerable face. Yeah. That just made me want to like put my hand on my heart and sort of like, oh, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he's he's confessing his love. But why do you think he takes it back then? That's a great question I haven't thought about. I guess I thought, huh. The first time, I guess I thought, uh, I don't know, maybe because Roy was there or something like that, but that's not the reason. It's gotta be, is it because he was like second guessing after she rejected the teapot for the iPod? But that doesn't feel right either. Cause it wasn't like he, he was still desperately trying to renegotiate with Dwight to get it back. So it wasn't like he'd given up on her. So what made him think now's not the right time or this was too much? Hmm. Like, is there anything in there that would make us think he's second guessing? Or maybe just that she, because she's not like, oh, I need the thing from you. He's worried that it's, he went too personal or he cares about her more than she cares about him, which is a legitimate question, I think. Yeah, yeah, Um, that's true. I don't know. 
and he can keep it then on he can keep that interaction on the fun level mm-hmm. as a joke level instead of the really serious place you're going to take it to if he confesses <laughs> i mean this is my question about pam like okay I, I don't know. I'm not a straight woman. And so uh, I need you to speak for all straight women. But like my impression is that she must know that he's interested. And I, I don't know, like, I just can't wrap my brain around this. Uh, like, I don't know, whatever. But the thing that like really I found most to me would be a dead giveaway, but then maybe not. Cause like I also, feel very invested in this kind of sentimentality but like here's the i got two of the other hot sauce packets from that time like and he saved them you know Mm -hmm. he's got the golf pencil which he doesn't tell us about he's got the what was the other thing in it um i mean the yearbook picture picture. it's like he's this is something i find actually very interesting about sentimental gift giving or whatever is that it's often about narrative. It's like re-narrating event, it's memories, right? And it's like, what's special is that I paid attention to these mundane things that otherwise would not be memorable or archived. Yeah, Yeah. ooh, archived. Right, and like- This little teapot is archived. (laughs) and, And it like, and he's been, remembering them for them, you know? And it's like, to me, that's like an incipient couple, right? It's like, here's the first time we did this together. Here's the, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, how can she not, how can she receive those gifts and not sort of see them as an over attention to experiences shared? On the other hand, like, I don't know if I sent you like, oh, here's a memory of our first time we did the podcast or whatever, you know, like I can imagine, you know, I have lots of friendships. I've had lots of friendships with people where we go to that overly sentimental place. Um, And it doesn't read as, you know, repressed romance or something like that. So, so I don't know, you know, I guess I'm always, I'm like really ambivalent about this because I really like Pam want to preserve a place for all kinds of relationalities and intimacies that are not romantic on the other hand I also want to make space for them to be romantic like I think the show really is trying to you know that's heteronormativity right that there's this firm line between friendship romance and sex or whatever but yeah I don't know I just can't I guess all of this is just like how does she not know that may not be the most interesting question saving the hot sauce packets is definitely on the romance line of that that's true is it that making it funny, is, is it making it funny and having it as a joke, is that the thing that enables it to still um, mm. not sort of explicitly name itself, I guess? Is that the plausible <sighs> deniability? Is that it's funny? And yes. It's special? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Well, because, okay, both of them are, or the two that we know, we don't know about the pencil, but we know the picture of him, which she laughed at and is funny. So it's like mocking him, but in a loving, you know, but in a, but it's, 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 it's embarrassing. And then her thing is embarrassing. I thought it was ketchup, but it was hot sauce. I bit into it, you know, and it was or whatever. So they're both moments of, of being, yeah, embarrassing. 
do you think that this is actually Michael's dream gift? That he doesn't know it, but a teapot that's full of inside jokes? That's a brilliant question. <laughs> because you, you get the vibe that at the end, you know, what all he wants is to be invited to the bar, right? Yes. He gets invited to poor Richards. And this is following the previous episode when he, he specifically worked really hard to not invite him not about that you're so good at remembering the continuity of these things I totally forgot about that really based exclusively on the number of times that I view but (laughs) that's good that's a great point oh we haven't even talked about Bob Vance Vance refrigeration refrigeration but it's him interestingly too so it's an outsider who invites Michael but he says Michael poor Richards and Michael you can just see the sort of surprise in his face. Like he was expecting to just stand there as the other people leave and go to wherever they're gonna go. Mm-hmm. But he just was so nicely surprised when he gets invited, which I'll say this was an episode where Michael is rough to be around for most of the time. Yeah, he really is, yeah. He really, really was, but I thought that that was, Touching. I thought that was a place of seeing that vulnerability that we both love in people. I have a question just yeah. before we go too far away from the teapot, mm-hmm. um, which we've not even talked about, like the sort of signifier of like, what does a teapot signify? But I don't have thoughts Ooh. on that. Um, but I was going to ask, okay, so we were sort of saying there's the money side and then the sentiment sentimentality side. And we were juxtaposing like personalized exchange versus impersonal um, exchange. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a specific kind of exchange that builds romance? Like, because something that you said earlier is like you and Dan don't get each other Christmas gifts and neither do um, Jen and I anymore. And I sometimes feel like anxious about that or like worried that like, oh, and I think that, or cause like, oh, should we still do that or something? And I think underneath that is my own anxiety about like longevity or the, a bond that can go away. But yeah. I think, but we did a lot of that sentimentally gift giving early on. And it was funny to discover later, for example, you know, things that, or it's like, oh yeah, I don't give a shit about this holiday or like, oh no, no, you don't <laughs> get me. Or I don't like these kinds of gifts or whatever. But yeah. like, but you're trying to approximate like what you normatively what you're supposed to do yes I guess but then also you're there is something about early in a relationship or even a friendship or you know early relationships need to kind of like exchange something to um make themselves uh sustained you know and and then later you don't have to uh Mm. necessarily maybe I don't know I'm not trying to generalize my experience but I don't know. I was just thinking about that, like how, yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's. Really I don't know. Do you have thoughts on this? You described, I think you used the word normative at some point to describe it. And as you're doing that, it, I think it shows how much there is a script to gift giving. So you said, is there a kind of exchange that builds romance? We at least have a set of rules I guess or a kind of script that gift giving does build romance and the gift giving is somehow a sign of loving each other yeah the sign of a relationship because I have sometimes had 
times when people ask like, oh, what do you do it, you and Dan do for Christmas? And I'm like, oh, we don't get each other anything. And they're kind of like, oh, or, you know, like you can yeah. kind of read it that they're thinking, oh, you guys must not like each other that much anymore. Or <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And like all the romance is dead. Yeah. But it feels like that's more than it being really about those gifts necessarily building connection or romance or whatever that they're about the almost a checking of a box totally. like I'm doing the thing that I know is the communicator of loving my spouse basically I've always been fascinated by that you know like those commercials for jewelry the or the ones that are it's like you know five years is this you yeah. know marital heterosexuality it's like you know you're supposed yeah. to get uh, it's certain kinds of gifts at certain kinds of years or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it makes it perfunctory. I mean, I guess the upshot is to say, here's what you're supposed to do. So just do yeah. it. And if you do it, then <laughs> you've yeah. uh, demonstrated your, your. Uh... And I, I actually do love being told exactly what to do. <laughs> there is something that's nice about that. We're r- rule followers. That's for sure. <laughs> but it's like here's how you get tenure okay here's how you get your phd you know it's like we we're, we're we want institutional norms i guess but at the same time okay but here's my question though so early in your relationship with dan you don't have to get we can cut this out if you want but like <laughs> but was there more of that like here's the sweet photo that i framed and like you know or here's the here's the golf pencil from that time we did this thing or I don't know like did you were you into scrapbooking I don't know like was there a yeah I'd say there was probably more of that earlier on and was that necessary to fomenting the relationship or was it like oh you didn't actually need to do any of that but you just did it because that's what you're supposed to do Hmm. maybe there's not a huge difference between those two things I don't know that's a good question. Also, I love your use of the word foment. Was it necessary to fomenting? Really <laughs> leaning hard into our professor. <laughs> I think because later, there's some place when Dwight asks Jim if he has fomented rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I always associate the word foment with. Oh, we haven't talked much about Dwight, but him quoting Billy Zane from Titanic was a highlight. Oh, beautiful. Yes, just beautiful. <laughs> Billy Zane. Oh, I love that. The other mo- the movie that made um, Dwight cry, Armageddon. Yes. There's a sensitivity to Dwight. We see yeah. his viewing choices, which I appreciate. I And him with his uh, paintball lessons, I found that very amusing. I really find it amusing when... Michael cuts him down and Dwight has a lot of self-confidence anyway. Like uh-huh. he's not insecure. Yeah. At You're all. Really, he's really confident in the value of those paintball lessons. He will like, he's a toady, I guess, in the way that he will kind of like, you know, we won't do anything until Michael returns. You know, he's, he's like a henchman. Yeah. But yeah. When Michael shits on him, he's still kind of like, no, nah, Michael doesn't know what he's talking about. Like I'm. Yes, you know. you're right. He understands. Uh, so I guess I, I don't know the answer to the question of, the kind of requirements of gift exchange for building romance, but it's interesting. And I'm wondering what the relationships are between kind of romantic building up and endearing yourself to someone in other ways. Yes. Do we ever know who Dwight actually got the paintball lessons for? 
Do we know who his pick was? No, I don't think so. Wait, but it's that Michael, that's the thing Michael ends up getting. Oh my God, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, because that's when, um, yeah, Dwight is like, you and me, Michael. Yes, yes. Oh, so that's, that's funny. That's also that question. Um, but I, he really is very confident about his that's, skills. To go back to your anthropological question about Yankee Swap, it's not just about the contingency, but it's also about like the potential for irony, Ooh. right? Like, because it is ironic that like he mocked the thing that he ends up receiving, right? Like uh-huh. the one, th- or no, it's not the one thing he didn't want, but it is high on the list of what he didn't want. And and in the same way that Jim's teapot goes to his nemesis. Yes. Of all the people to get it, the fact that Dwight got it is ironic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jim finds it. Because I wonder when Jim is going to try to get it and negotiate it out of Dwight's hands. Part of it is maybe to give it to Pam, but it seems like a, maybe an equally large or greater part is that it cannot be with Dwight. Yes. 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 <laughs> like that is the worst case scenario. Should we talk about that baby poster for a minute? Yep, I have that on my list. <laughs> Thoughts? Thoughts. So this... Angela's a weirdo. Angela is. So Kelly gets it. Once This this comes out after Yankee Swap has happened. Kelly draws it. She opens it. What's the thing that she says about it? Something about it being one of the creepier things. Yikes. That's like the creepiest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Yikes. Such a good response. And Toby says, well, it's for Angela. So, (laughs) and when (laughs) Angela goes in and takes it, so she steals the poster and she's, some people like these. Yeah. So I guess a couple things. Could she have chosen the iPod? I think so. Has the iPod already been exchanged during that? So I think she could have chosen the iPod and she chose the baby poster. The gift that was for her. The gift that was for her. She may be the only one to choose the gift that was for her. That's interesting. But yeah, she loves that poster. I had a friend when I was in high school who was really into um, Anne Gettys, who is this photographer who exclusively photographs babies. Weird. And I... There is a whole, so Angela says some people like these. I'll say, I think there is a whole subculture of people who really, really like to look at babies because she makes like calendars, posters, stuff like that. And sometimes it'll be a baby in almost like they're being served like a bird where they're kind of sitting on top of lettuce and there's a piece of lettuce on top of them or there are these different weird scenarios but always these shirtless babies (laughs) (laughs) that's why it's so funny that toby's like i felt weird buying it because i love that it really like underscores that it's a particularly gendered and kind of like it's like what like what do you call that like kitschy yeah um, yeah middle class white women's uh, s- stuff. I don't know if it's Rachel. It really feels like the area. Because <laughs> <laughs> it becomes um, a man buying it seems 
it's like it becomes predatory. <laughs> right. I mean, that is because of our idea that like men are not supposed to be interested in babies, right? And women are, yeah. are allowed to yeah. be. It also maps onto Angela's kind of like strange relationship to sexuality. There's something highly desexualized about, well, obviously, you know, about these kinds of images. They, they're like nudity, yeah. but like safe, you know, yeah. like it's- it's for nudity when you cannot tell anything about the sex of the baby actually at that point? Oh, that's really interesting. You know, like they're young enough that all they've got is the diaper and they don't yet have- mm. I don't think these babies were wearing things that coded them as male or female, were they? I didn't study it close enough because I was worried about you judging me, you know, so I... Because one of the things that does happen to babies is that they do get, they can be coded, you know, like you yeah, can put totally. a bow tie or like a hair, but like the things that send the, yeah. the gendering kind of signifiers, but I don't think they have these. I think that these are just topless baby musicians. <laughs> And that's the other thing that's so interestingly strange about it too, is like a baby can't play a saxophone. So what exactly is the, the isn't that the point? Yeah, I guess that's it. Right. And it's, that's the kind of like, it's like a humor that isn't very funny to me, but like maybe, yes, yes, yes. maybe that's what a certain version or genre of cuteness is, is it, it's like an impossible thing that a small thing does, you know, like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, like a kitten or a dog trying to do yoga or something. I don't know. But like that, I actually understand the appeal. So I don't know. I'm trying to like uh, translate it to an aesthetic category I can get. Um, I will say, I wondered if this was actually, well, different. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is the, if this was the most generous gift that was given, the most selfless gift the gift that was most oriented toward the person that it was for that's fascinating because for toby <laughs> this was a kind of humiliating experience to go in and buy the gift yes yes it felt weird jim's was incredibly thoughtful but you know i mean that's also for his own gain of course not that it's a, not that that's in a bad way but it's different than him giving something to angela um yeah. So, so I don't know. I thought, I thought that this might actually be the winner of the best. Game. Really interesting. I mean, first it reaffirms my, my ongoing argument that Toby is good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and secondly, um, it brings us back to another theory of gift giving, which is like the gift must be, yeah, like as kind of selfless as possible. It can't be about you or for you. Um, which I guess is part of the paradox of gifts, right? That like, you know, the minute, like that's there, it's kind of ruined by discovering who was your secret Santa. So there's this like kind of utility or instrumentality there. It's like, oh, you're getting, yeah. but um, in the thank you or whatever is the kind of reciprocity. But I was just going to say, oh yeah. He go like you said, he goes out of his way. He's uncomfortable and he gets a thing that he does not like. Like he doesn't, but he didn't have to do that. He could have gotten her a candle or a yeah. whatever, you know, something that he wouldn't have cared about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Huh. Um, I was going to say, oh, Packer makes a late appearance at the party. Like a late appearance. Yeah. And I just am confused about his role in the company. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. He is a like 
he's on the road, right? As a salesperson and he just yeah. shows up sometimes. Yeah, he does. He just pops in when it's convenient. And this was definitely a good time for him to show up, I guess. I like that we didn't get too much of him. I find him to be really uh, tiresome. So he's him like him pooping out early and getting silly string was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it was a good way to quickly dispose of Becker. Um, well, any final things you want to highlight before we jump to our dundies of the week or of the episode, I should say. I think I think I'm ready for the dundies. I guess I would just say this this episode was one where Phyllis, maybe we come back to Phyllis at a later at another time. The like Phyllis just was destroyed oh the party planning committee that's on my list of things that but i want to come back to that i want to have like a whole episode about about the party planning committee yeah what what it what it does for the show what is a party planning you know what are committees i don't know but this yeah. is yeah i would really like to talk about that too so yeah we might need a whole thing for the party planning committee but i will say just so just a couple things to get onto the record this the party planning committee ryan says that Angela drafted him to the party planning committee. So we've got our first um, our first man entering the party planning committee. She says that, or he says that Angela's memo said that we need to prepare for every possible disaster, which to me seems excessive. Uh, Phyllis is the one who picks out the lights and supposedly the tree lighting becomes her personal failure. I, I think I need to stop because this is actually making me think of all of these other things to talk about, including when they bring in the Christmas tree at the beginning, which we oh, yeah. but it's just going to go, it's going to go too far. So let me just leave it to say, this was a very heavy episode for Phyllis. Yeah, I, I would, we definitely need to unpack who Phyllis is, but I was really feeling for her too, with her kind of yeah. like insecurity the yeah. lighting thing was amazing. I really loved Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, and Ryan being <laughs> like, what line of work are you in? I think is yeah. one of the funniest, funny. funniest fucking jokes ever. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just so funny. Um, I was going to just to read into the record too, I really liked the editing when Jim is like, I think this is what happened with Creed. And then they cut and Creed is oh. like, that's what happened. Yeah. And, <laughs> I just thought that was so clever. And also like, we should talk more sometime about like the premise of the documentary crew because the documentary crew is relaying messages between people because yeah. they must have just said, so here's what Jim said about your gift. And then he's like, yep, that's what happened, but they cut it out. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting here. Yeah, really interesting. And then Meredith and her, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, revealing herself. We, we, I mean, I don't have anything to say about it other than we'll have to talk about Meredith. Michael finally gets some good use out of that digital camera. <laughs> Will that be on the newsletter? Yeah. I would love to see the role of, I was going to say the role of his film developed. He specifies it's a digital camera. I would love to see what came out of that photo shoot. Totally. Not, Meredith, not just Meredith specifically, the whole thing. I want the whole, see the whole evening. I think he's got a lot of really terrible pictures. <laughs> I hope we get to, I wonder if we'll ever get to see them, but all right. Dundies, who, who Dundies. are you going with this week? I've got to say within our conversation, you almost led me to change course and choose Roy for the Dundee. Ah! <laughs> I felt like you came to his defense in a really persuasive way, but I am not giving him the Dundee. 
I'm giving the Dundee for the finest gift award goes to Toby. <gasps> Amazing. That baby poster was the last gift I would like to receive and the last gift I would like to buy. Mm-hmm. But I thought that it spoke very well of Toby. As we were talking, you were pushing me toward, I was like, oh my God, I think I have to give it to him because philosophically, Megan has like, you know, illuminated what the purest gift is. Like it was so, <laughs> I was like, oh wow. But so I almost switched. Um, but I'm going to go in a surprising, this may surprise you. It certainly surprised me, um, but I'm giving the Dundee um, for uh, uh, holiday sentimentality and the Christmas spirit to Jim. Um, whoa, whoa. Okay. I thought you were going to say Meredith at that point. Oh yeah. That was a funny line. Your shirt off at the end, but okay, please explain. I just think I felt like, you know, and this is pure transference and and projection or whatever, but (laughs) I really can relate to the, the sentimental gift over the, um, over any other concerns and I thought it was actually very charming and sweet the way that he was trying to express his love for her. Um, yeah. And I was just disappointed he didn't go through with it. You know, I was like, give her the card, like just own this shit. Um, and uh, and I thought it was, yeah, like really sweet too. He's like trying to get her to look at it. And, you know, um, so yeah, despite all of my, you know, despite myself, I was rooting for Jim here, so <laughs> We both ended up in really surprising places with our yeah. body. Yeah, true. So the next episode is Booze Cruise. Booze Cruise coming up next. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>